welcome to the Brain Tools Podcast, where you're going to learn how your brain works and how you can use it to level up your life. It's practical brain science for everyday people. I'm your co-host, Sam, a self-professed neuroscience nerd on a mission to share brain science with the world in words everyone can understand. And I'm Kieran, and I specialize in neuroscience at university and now run a metacognition education startup in Asia. Each episode, you walk away with six practical brain tools that you can use immediately. No fluff, just the good stuff with a side of banter. Plus, grab our show notes, the research, and tons of other free resources, including guides and classes, just by joining our growing Brain Tools community at braintools.mn.co. Best of all, it's totally free. But for now, the Brain Tools Podcast. And welcome to another episode of the Brain Tools Podcast. This is episode 10. My name is Kieran, and we're joined by Sam here, rounding out the 10th episode. And today is arguably, I think anyway, one of the most practical episodes that we're about to do. It is all around memory. How memories actually form in your brain, which you're going to learn today. The memory traps and pitfalls that people fall into that you can so easily avoid. And this all comes together, as it always does, where you learn how to hack your memory through six practical brain tools to learn things quicker and for longer. Super exciting. Samuel L. Jackson, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. That was a a lovely, lovely introduction. I'm not actually Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, That is a copyrighted name. We (laughs) do not here at Brain Tools pretend to steal that name, but I'm doing doing pretty well. No snakes on a plane? No no snakes on a plane? One of your best films of all time? One one of the greatest movies of all time. Should have won multiple Academy Awards. Um, Um, I'm well. I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm I'm well. I'm like a, I feel like I'm a solid nine out of 10 to start a Monday, which is very rare, but we're a nine out of 10 and I'm going to run with that to the cleaners. I love it. And you know what? I, you know what I love even more than being a nine out of 10 talking about six brain tools for memory and getting into this episode. Um, Cause it's, a, it's an interesting time for brains right now. Let's just put it that way. Absolutely. Especially given the past episodes have been on tension and obviously on, on aging, the pandemic COVID-19, the stress it's caused, everything that's going on with it. It's just messing with our memories. It's crazy. Well, it is, right? You, you hit the nail on the head. So there's like research shown that we perceive time going more slowly if it's empty. Bringing to mind like that proverb, the proverbial, you know, if a watch kettle never boils, right? Oh. And you think about it right now, and especially for those in lockdown like myself uh, and anyone else out there, shout out to those people in lockdown. It sucks. But without the landmarks or the usual events you have in your day, birthdays, anniversaries, dinners, going and seeing friends each week, time kind of blends together. And so there's been a lot of people who've noted that it feels a little bit like Groundhog Day. And we're going to talk about why that is later on when we talk through the neuroscience of how that works specifically. But it's just so repetitive. And it, it's also like COVID, the stress of COVID is impairing Impairing, impairing, impairing oh, our memory formation. It's impairing our memory formation, right? Um, and because stress, it impacts our attention and our brains as we age. I, t- I totally agree. It's like when you said the whole idea of Groundhog Day, it's the tyranny of monotony, right? And as we know that, I'm going to trademark that that phrase, by the way, just got to give myself a pat on the back. But the tyranny of monotony is leading to, as you said, our, our brains being compromised, particularly in terms of memory. But as you said, that stress and as we've spoken about previous episodes, please go and watch them on attention, aging, the core things that we spoke about and bring it all together in terms of memory uh, formation as well. And I, I was thinking about it, like, I think this is 
arguably one of the most practical episodes we're about to do simply because a lot of people have actually lost their jobs. And you constantly hear this narrative mm. of people losing their jobs, um, of AI going to take over all these jobs and the ability to learn quickly and effectively and with memory being a core part of it is super, super important uh, all the time uh, anyway, to be honest with you. It's qu- it's a very, very clear skill that we require. So we need to, we need to do this, Sam. It's important. I love, I love that you use the word skill there. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about that later because – like people have this perception of memory being an innate thing. You know, some people just have better memories than others when it's it's frankly untrue. And all you have to do is go on YouTube and type in memory champions of the world and you see memory athletes. Now, I know that that visual <laughs> it doesn't exist. With a long jump of memory format. Yeah. 110 meter hurdles. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't really work. But essentially, there, there are these people, and you actually know one. We might get on a future podcast episode. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, there are these people out there who train their memories. And you don't have to have a super special memory to start with. You're spot on. And that, that becomes the most important place to start when it comes to memory formation that we're going to get into right now is in order to understand and manipulate mm. your memory, you've got to understand the stages. How does it actually work in your brain? And I know that you have a, a pretty nice model of memory that you personally have obviously come up with. Everything, all the research has been done since the past hundred years and you just sort of brought it all together because you're a bit of a champ. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I've just gone and stolen all this beautiful work from other people. No, no, there is like in the in the cognitive neuroscience community, there is a really well known uh, model for for how memory works, and this is important for anyone who has a memory because understanding how it works is how you understand how it breaks down and why it breaks down and why you forget things, which is really important. So there are three phases. The first one is encoding, and that's when you're processing inputs, sound, sights hearing, what you hear, what you smell, what you touch, what you feel. The second stage is storage. And that's when all those inputs, all that processing you're doing and information is being stored somewhere in your brain. And we'll talk about where that is in just a little bit. And then the third stage is retrieval. And this is when you're pulling it back out of your brain. And this this is remembering. This is what we think of as memory because remembering is really just retrieving past information. So going on to that first stage of encoding, um, this is one of the most important stages because if you don't encode something, you don't physically store it into your brain because you don't process it. And it's a bit like <clears throat> it's a it's a bit like when you don't pay attention to something. When you're not paying attention to something, you're not actually encoding that information because your brain's not focusing on it. And therefore, there's no information for your brain to create a memory based on. So encoding is really based on attention, and it's the, the reason why people lose their keys. The reason why I lose my keys chronically, right? Forgetful because Sam. <laughs> forgetful Sam. So I actually, one time I, I lost my keys when I was trying to move interstate <laughs> and my car was parked in a garage at a friend's apartment block. Oh, it's not. Yeah. That's not ideal. Hey, to be honest with you, with people, I would say my one thing is my phone. I like I lost my phone like literally last week. I don't know where it is. Um, and so yeah. go through, I've literally, literally lost my phone at least 10 to 15 times. So I feel you. Keys, phone, your life is on it. Not great. It happens. And it happens because of this first stage of memory, right? Encoding, where if we don't pay attention, we don't encode the information. Therefore, we can't store it. And therefore, we can't retrieve it later. And when we talk about that uh, encoding process um, and specifically how that relates to storage, I know there's a specific place it happens. 
Yes. And you're going to touch on that. I will touch on that. But I think before I deep dive into what we'll call later the hippocampus, very, very cool part of the brain, I think, as you said, this really links quite nicely to episode eight, attention, where we talk a mm, lot about this, right? the problems with attention. And so uh, if you haven't actually seen that, definitely go jump in and learn six brain tools on how to basically hack your attention. But to reiterate, in the brain, what's happening during this encoding phase, all this input sensory information is actually going into the place that we call the thalamus. It is your brain's gatekeeper. It is your brain's switchboard. And it's basically literally mm. channeling all the different stuff. And that's why your attention is so important, right? There's uh, an, an unlimited amount of stimuli in your environment. So you need to be able to actually focus in on a few things. So that thalamus being really, really important, and it passes it to the prefrontal cortex. And that is where your working memory and your short-term memory actually are, which I think links quite nicely to your uh, second stage storage. Right, exactly. It links really well. So definitely about that attention and that encoding process. But then once you paid attention to something, your brain has to store it, store it for later on. And this is when we take all those inputs and we input them into the brain. They start in short your short-term memory, which is stored in your seahorse. Your seahorse, the hippocampus. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, you did. It's, it's, it's you weirdo. <laughs> it's not a date. They call they call it seahorse in the textbooks. Hey, okay. uh, I'm sorry. Sorry, textbooks are right. Um, and like, there's a really good analogy for your hippocampus. And if you kind of think of it like a Google search engine, so it it searches, it indexes, and it stores the pages, which are your memories, so that when you want to search for them, the hippocampus finds them for you and prioritizes your memory based on the web web pages that are most used. And when you go through this storage process, you're storing information, you're storing everything you're processing into your hippocampus, and there's some process of consolidation. But I know you've got a bit of information about that hippocampus, just how important it is. So, so important. And this is where I think you've made a really good point, mate, which is that interaction between your prefrontal cortex at the very front of our brain, the thing that makes us different to all other mammals and how it interacts with the hippocampus becomes really, really important. And so all I want to say on this one is 1953, I don't know why this dude did this, but there was a, a guy called Henry Malaison, and he basically had hippocampus surgically removed during an operation mm. in the US to treat his epilepsy. What happened? Epilepsy was cured, lived a further 55 years. Good on him. Got it done. But after the surgery, he was only able to form episodic memories that lasted a matter of minutes. He was actually completely unable to store new information. And what it basically led to led to have was the hippocampus implicated the size of a chestnut in the middle of your brain linked with these long-term memories. And another fun fact for you is they did looked at London cab drivers and they've actually been found to have larger hippocampi than the standard individual because they spend three to four years memorizing the map of London, which is uh, very, very interesting. But that obviously links to the final stage of memory where the hippocampus obviously plays a role, um, but links up with that retrieval, which is where most people fall down. I remember I fell down it, with this one. 100%. I mean, like, is everyone kind of thinks of memory as just putting it in, just storing it, storing it, storing it. You're reading, you're learning, you're listening, but really just as important is retrieving, like pulling it back out. And that actually strengthens the memory. So yeah, the process of retrieval is basically your hippocampus, this search engine, searching throughout your brain or within the hippocampus itself for old memories and piecing together the information um, because the information is not stored in one spot. It's not just in your hippocampus. And that links really nicely to almost the end of this section, which is Kieran wrapping it up. 
Oh, yeah. What have you got for us? Final part of the brain that memories are involved in. This interaction between your hippocampus and a place called the neocortex. It's the largest part of the cerebral cortex. It's the newest part. And all I want to say here is the interaction between your hippocampus and neocortex is really important. The more important a memory, the more likely it becomes stored as general knowledge. And your general knowledge is stored mm-hmm. in your neocortex. This is your semantic memory, and this is the retrieval that normally takes place. And very interestingly, research think that this transfer from the hippocampus to the neocortex happens when we sleep. Shout out to the sleep episode, episode one. Go check it out. Go check it out. And then, so there are a host of problems that can happen at any of these three phases, and we're going to talk about those in the next section on the brain problems associated with memory. All right, and now that brings us to the next section on the brain problems associated with memory, how memory breaks down, why you remember people's names, faces, where you put your keys, if you're me, uh, and in a terrible position. So there there are a couple of different problems that happen at different stages. And so that's why, Sam, thank you very much for doing all that research over the past hundred years into uh, all the memory formation. All the problems when it comes to memory are issues with those three stages. And the first stage was obviously with encoding and your attention. And there are a number of problems mm. that can take place here. Again, please go to episode eight to look at all those different problems, how to hijack it. But basically it's looking at removing distractions that becomes the most important part in your ability to focus. But I know that actually links quite nicely, Sam, with what you looked into in terms of your memories and their durability, so to speak. Durability is a good word for it. And there's an even better one for it. And I'm going to challenge I challenge you. I'm going to challenge everyone in the world. Most of your memories are, are fake. I mean, that's out there. So everyone's lived experience is wrong. Thanks very much for like everyone, everyone in the world offside. That's really good. Okay. okay. Great, great just, that's good, man. Just, just hear me out. Just hear me out. <laughs> hear me out. I'm not trying to be uh, confrontational. So there's <laughs> conflict <diverse>, PhD <laughs> researcher in neuroscience from Stanford University, uh, Marianne Radan said, like, we don't get memory 100% right. And it's actually a feature of our brain. It's, it's not a bug. But what happens is basically every time you open up an old memory, you change it. It's like opening up a file on your computer for editing and anything you experience in that moment then goes in that memory and it becomes changed over time. This process is called reconciliation. But also when you're talking more about encoding and attention, you can only pay attention to so many things, right? So many things at once. And then whatever you pay attention to becomes stored as your memory of that event. And we think about this in context of an eyewitness testimony. Mm. If you're looking at the wrong thing, then that becomes your memory of the events that happen And so you might miss entirely because you were looking at the guy over there to the left when it was the guy over there to the right who actually did the shot and killed the person that's now on trial. But because they're both associated, your your brain can't tell the difference between the two. So memories are super unreliable. That's super interesting because the moment you said eyewitness testimony, I was thinking about, I think they call it the weapon effect, which is when there is a weapon uh, in any form, any altercation or any situation, you're more likely to pay more attention to that because that's the most fearful stimuli, so to speak. And so your attention is going to be directed onto that as opposed to the mm. and everything around it. So selective memory and eyewitness testimony has become very interesting. And there's been a number of cases where unreliable yep. eyewitness testimony has led to people being wrongfully convicted. So very interesting by you. Good. They were very interesting by the research. Thank you. That was really kind of you. But I mean, just in general, it's the reason they threw out eyewitness testimony, right? It's now no longer allowed to be used as primary evidence because it is so fallible. Our, our brains were just not optimized to remember things perfectly. 
And so like, there's a really good analogy where they say memory is a sketch of a sketch. So it's kind of like you have all these different, all these different like gists of what happened in your brain and your memory pulls them together. You, and, 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 you've done brownie points with me. That That is yeah. like a Naval quote that you've just done. Oh, oh. it's a good one. It's a, it's a really good one. But you like, you think about that in context for right now, like we really can't trust our memories entirely, even though we, we like to think so. And this links really into the problem with how we store these memories. Spot on. And that's the second stage, right? Again, the issues with it. And the primary one, and I, I think I'm using my bias here, being in education and knowing and working with lots of students, but one of the biggest problems, uh, and they talk about this in many books around memory, is that students and people just use the wrong techniques. They use really ineffective mm-hmm. techniques. And that becomes the one number one variable in terms of people remembering things uh, long term. Yeah. There is a scale of most effective to least effective when it comes to memorizing stuff. Um, or alternatively, your brain is damaged, right? Like if you're like the dude in 1953, and his hippocampus was just mm. taken out, then probably going to have a bit of a hard time uh, memorizing stuff, especially new stuff, which is the semantic information we speak of. But I know that you were talking about um, the idea that lockdown and how that's impacted our ability to actually have memories given. Hold yeah. on, hold on. My, my catchphrase, the tyranny of monotony. <laughs> Guys, Kieran, we're getting that on a T-shirt. Uh, available as part of our merch pack out. Second merch, yes. <laughs> Second Brantles merch. So actually, yeah. yeah, this one's really personally salient to to me and uh, people I know because I'm still in lockdown down in Hill, down here in Melbourne uh, with Dictator Dan. Just kidding. Love you, Dan. Thanks, Dan oh, Andrews. Didn't know we were um, people, mate. <laughs> I know, getting, getting really deep. Um, so... Dr. Julia Shaw said, you know, often when we perceive time, we're actually perceiving as change. And when you think about lockdown situations and COVID and this entire 2020 year, right, there is a severe lack of change because it's been quarantine, it's been COVID, the news is almost the same every day, especially if you're in lockdown. You, you lose all, all the events in your day. You lose the anniversaries, the birthday dinners. You lose the, the routine of going to work and leaving your house if you're, you're locked down in, in your house. And neuroscientists have a word for this, right? They call these temporal landmarks. And basically what this means is moments in time that are different from the other ones. And they, these are how we construct our experiential memory, our declarative memory over time. So when we're in lockdown like we are right now, without the daily markers or without an endpoint inside, all our memories kind of meld together. Our our internal timelines mesh together because it's like we have all these files in our head, which are the weeks of 2020, and they're all labeled the same because all the same things are happening. And so there's been some really bizarre phenomenons recently where people have created these, these false memories that they've reported are really weird dreams too. And that's because the brain is struggling to differentiate between the weeks. So lockdown makes memories, a new memory formation hard. That makes so much sense. I'm like almost thinking it's like a, it's like a heart rate, which is like the normal mm. heart rate has those like ebbs and flows, right? And those spikes, but it's like almost like your, your heart's flatlining. Like if it's flatlining and there's no mm. differentiation between the points, then everything just blends into another, one another, which is not ideal for memory formation. It's really not. And that's why, you know, like everything feels, I I said Groundhog Day before, and it's because every day feels the same, which means every day gets stored in your brain is the same, which means this whole year is just this blur. Um, And I I can't speak for everyone, but I felt that way. Look, just a great call out to a great movie. Good rom-com, just FYI. Uh, As as we look to wrap it up, I totally agree with you, mate, which is like, 
like the brain loves novelty. And I think that's a really important mm. part of the storage component, like novelty and emotion. The more acute the emotion one experiences, those they're more likely to remember stuff, the more novel the information that becomes true. But then that last stage of retrieval, that is just a function of pure repetition and review. If you don't review things, if you don't repeat things, you use it or you lose it. And that's where Hebbian theory becomes really, really important to understand that neurons that fire together, they wire together. But again, if the brain is not firing on those neurons, they just don't deem it as important and they lose it. And that's where, as we move into this this next section, last session, all around the brain tools, it's going to be focused um, on those three sections and how you can obviously impact that massively. So Samuel, I reckon we just deep dive into the next section and let's get into these brain tools. I reckon let's do it. Let's do it. And this is the, this is the reason why. This is why, why we're going to do that, which is going to be so exciting for you. Because when you understand how your memory works and why your memory is so compromised right now, you can actually slow down time using one of our brain tools. You can make time feel like it goes slower. You can train your memory to remember better by understanding where it breaks down and solving those points. And you can also stop having so many forgetful moments or stop losing your keys like me. So you're basically saying everyone's going to become Neo after this and like in the Matrix, just like whoosh, just we're, get it. We're all up. going to become, you know, memory athletes, the most coveted sports stars <laughs> in the world. Pay us the big bucks. And as, as you said, I think that's uh, the, the key sort of benefit, if you will, if we, we flip this into it, is I think generally the person with the most knowledge wins, right? Which is knowledge is power only if you use it. Mm. You look at every person who's quote unquote in the objective objective uh, of success, so to speak. You know, Bill Gates talks about wanting to read super, super fast. Charlie Munger talks about he knows no wise person that doesn't read often. All this stuff links to if you can remember the information and the frameworks and the knowledge, you're more likely to be able to navigate yourself well in a world that is a world full of noise. 100%, which is why you should stick around for the next section on Brain Tools. And we are here. We are in the brain tools section. We're going to go through six practical brain tools in order for you to take your memory from zero to hero. It's going to be very, very exciting. But I want to provide Samuel a little bit of context as we normally do to all these brain tools. And the context actually links very nice mm. to all the stuff we've spoken about previously, the, the topic information, so to speak, but also the problems with memory. All these brain tools we're about to go through are all about durability and flexibility. Durability being how long you remember something for, flexibility all about the number of contexts and situations that you can obviously remember this. And there's a very clear link in all the memory research that is the more flexible a memory is, the more durable it is, the more durable it is, the more flexible it is. Simply because if it's durable, you're more likely to remember it when a trigger comes. Flexible, if you can use it in more than one context, you're more likely to use it. And so it's really important that as we go through these, um, we're going to be applying this to largely semantic memory. That is the general knowledge that is new information that we want to learn. And so my first brain tool is all around this. I would say this is the most scientifically proven and researched phenomena in all of memory research. Can I give this to you? Yes. Hit me. Hit me with it. I'm so ready. Brain tool number one, it is the spacing effect, the spacing effect, which I know you know lots about, my friend, but I'm still going to tell you. <laughs> Too much. So the spacing effect, very, very interesting phenomena. Seriously, as I said, the number one thing that was proven, and it was proven in 1885 by some German dude. The Germans loved their cognitive psychology back in the day. Hermann Ebbinghaus, I can't, I'm not going to put on the German accent, cultural appropriation, that's not. But he wrote a book <laughs> called On Memory, and he's known as the godfather of cognitive psychology and memory work. And what he mm. did is he did an experiment. And the experiment was super interesting, Sam. Basically, what he did, two groups of people, 
he got nonsense words, literally gibberish, got lots of them and got two groups to actually memorize them. But what he did is he got them to memorize them in two very different ways. The first way was chunked learning. He basically got people to get sit down for two hours in one sitting and try and memorize all this stuff. And he got the other people in the space learning category to actually do two hours, but they broke it into four 30-minute blocks, 30 minutes on, 30 minutes on, and again and again. And what he basically found is those that did the space learning remembered information by 15 to 20% more. And it was an absolute no content. These athletes were always going to win. And that's where he came up with the forgetting curve. And the most important fact, I'm ready for this. This is my mic drop moment compared to your sketch on sketch. Okay. <laughs> the most important part of memory is to forget. Mm. Yep. Boom. Boom. Boom, shake the room. But it's true. Like humans are good at learning. We are so we're so much better at relearning. The moment we have one exposure mm. to something, the subsequent exposures means that we forget less and we retain more. And that's the whole idea of the forgetting curve. And so I bring this up to know that whenever someone's actually practically got to actually prepare for something or learn something, you are much better taking time and separating it into components, 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes across time, because you allow your brain the space to forget it and then relearn that information, which becomes very, very clear. And I know you've got an awesome way to apply this, which is my classic handball to you. Oh, look at that handball. Smooth. I love it. It's it's like uh, a little bit often rather than a lot at once because that's what the brain wants, right? Don't cram. We haven't crammed. Don't before. cram. We haven't. We, We're so good. I've never crammed once. I've never crammed for a single exam and passed many of them. <laughs> no, but- <laughs> Good correlation. <laughs> I, I really wish I had known this when I was younger. I totally you do agree. cram, but then also- it's the reason why you cram for an exam or for whatever test it is and you forget a week or two later because it's just never really properly encoded. It's never stored, so you can't retrieve it. But I love that brain tool and I, I love even more how you make it practical and this is how. And you don't even have to do anything crazy. Do you read a lot online? Do you consume a whole bunch of content but then sometimes it gets lost? Here's a really, really simple way to remember it. Use a space repetition system. So that spacing effect Kieran just talked about, a whole bunch of programmers and coders went, wow, that's really amazing. Maybe I should build an algorithm for that. And then they did. And there are two tools I'm thinking about, Supermemo and Anki are the most popular ones. And what, what they do is you create a space uh, flashcard in them and the space repetition system basically spaces out that flashcard. So every time you see it while you're using your phone, you're flipping through on the toilet, you open up your flashcard, if you get it right, it's going to push that, that flashcard so it appears further down the track and further down the track. And it uses this spacing effect. And it's really, really powerful because this is also a form of recall or retrieval practice, which is another very well-established um, memory technique of constantly recalling it and retrieving and therefore firing those neurons that are wiring together and instilling this long-term memory. And so here's how you use it, right? And this is this is how I use it. This is how I'd suggest anyone to use it is download the app Anki or Supermemo. Have, choose your pick, same, same. They have this built in. And then when you want to really remember something, for me, it's sometimes quotes out of a book or I'll see something, an idea that I just know I need to stick in my head, create a flashcard for it. And then when you're on the toilet or when you've got downtime, open up your phone and go through your flashcards. And I do this every day. And I find that because I'm, it's already using this spacing effect, it's so easy to remember the content that I'm consuming. 
And I'm recalling so much more from books rather than just reading and forgetting them, which links really nicely into your brain tool around how you can also get more from your reading. I love it. And I totally with you on that one, right? Which is like, it's a frequency component. Frequency is a really important part of memory, but also that whole idea is a bonus one of interleaving, which is what you're doing as well, which is you're taking different uh, things within the same topic area um, and actually learning it because that's where your brain remembers stuff a lot more, which links so nicely to my brain tool. I just wanted to give that little bonus one. No, no we, ha- we have to do an episode on uh, cognitive neuroscience of learning and memory at some point. It's going to happen. Yeah, we, we got this whole series. I love it, which is linking nicely to my brain tool number three. And my brain tool number three is syntopical reading. What a weird word. What a word. <laughs> oh, no, right? Yeah, so just, we love jargon here at Brain Tools. Um, it's, it's from the book. How to, can, don't you love this, the title of this book? It's from the book, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. <laughs> so meta. What an OG title. It's like, hey, I'm going to write a book on how to actually read one. Um, but it is a very, it. very good book. Highly recommend it to everyone and anyone. And basically in it, um, he talks about Adler, four types of reading that occur. So very, very quickly, there's elementary reading. We know this is what a five to six-year-old can do. If you're reading a website, you already know what you're doing. There's inspectional reading. That's general reading. That's what we call skimming or scanning. You're getting a general idea of the entire topic area. You go a bit deeper, analytical reading is understanding the book itself. There's a lot of active learning there. There's a lot of annotating. There's a lot of questioning. However, syntopical reading is actually not necessarily about a book. It's actually about an entire hmm. topic area. It is comparative hmm. reading. It is taking multiple books within one topic area and actively comparing them to understand the entire frame of reference. And that's a really, really useful tool because you're immersing yourself in one topic area but across a broad number of books. So can you, can you give me an example? Have you done this before? Maybe. <laughs> yes, I have. So I think um, when I started uh, the... Uh, education business that I currently do, Elevate, um, in Asia, I did not know anything about business. I, w- I had a neuroscience degree. I was like, yeah, shuck up. Let's give this a crack. <laughs> let's, let's see what's going on. So as I normally do when I want to learn, I just read a lot. And so in that 2016, I reckon I read over 100 books. Um, wow. And not saying that to be like, hey, look at my ego. This is awesome. But just out of sheer necessity. And how I did it, I would love to share with you, which is it leverage syntopical reading altogether. Very simple process. Basically, take any subject area. So specifically for me, it was all about sales. It was marketing. It was leadership. Take a subject area and then literally look at Amazon Mm. top sellers or look at people you admire and what they recommend. Take 10 books or five, 10 books in that category and then list the questions that you want to answer. List the questions you want to answer and then read each book. But when you read each book, finish book number one, you do a quick summary of it. But then when you read book number two, you are comparing all the information in book number one to book number two. You read book number three, you're comparing book number three to one and two. And what you realize so, so quickly is that 70 to 80% of these books in that area are literally the same. They're no different. They're all underlying principles. And you start to realize that after book three and four. And this immersion means that you're more likely to remember the information. And this is particularly the case I want to say. This is learning for knowledge. This is not learning necessarily for fun. But it works. I promise you, it absolutely mm. unequivocally works. And you have a book that you like, maybe something fiction or something else that you read on the site if you do get sick of the topic area. But Samuel, syntopical reading, deep dive, and you will pay and reap the rewards. I love that. And I have just realized that intuitively it's something I've done, but never, never labeled it. Like I'll choose a topic area and I'll go buy three to five books on it and I'll read them. And I, I have a process where I'm making comparative notes in my head. 
and I'll try to link them together. It is awesome. I, I love it. I, as you said, but you just need to read a book called How to Read a Book and then you're sweet. <laughs> how to Read a Book, a lesson in reading how learning. It, it's a bit of a chicken and egg problem. It's a bit of a chicken and egg problem, right? I like it. Great, great book. Uh, and that wraps up. I have three brain tools for this section. Really looking forward to the next ones, which are a little bit weird in the next section on brain tools. Let's do it. Bed bowl. Okay, that's actually brain tool number four. <laughs> oh, you're such a weirdo. <laughs> I'm such a weirdo. So, in- interestingly enough, though, that moment there that you just experienced, that's called uh, snapback, attention snapback. And it happens when something unexpectedly happens. Like, say, I don't know, a massive pause from nowhere. Wait, are you are you using your brain tool on everyone right now? Is that are you like Inception? I'm not. I'm not actually incepting your brain, although I am definitely trying to crack into your vault <laughs> and your heart too. Your vault and your heart. But my brain tool number four is bed bowl, and what I mean by this is whatever you have that you you take on your person when you go out, your car keys, your wallet, your phone, uh, maybe it's a key ring. Create a bed bowl, and this doesn't actually have to be by your bed. It can be anywhere in your house, but basically it's a bowl where you always put your stuff. And here's the reason why. We have these location cells in our hippocampus. They're called space cells, and they're really great at tracking where stationary objects are, where things that are stationary. That's how they allowed us to to navigate our surroundings on the Savannah, on the Serengeti, by knowing landmarks. <laughs> I always go back to to our evolutionary neuroscience. Shout out evolutionary psychology. Savannah, just 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 drop it. <clears throat> just go Savannah. Just drop it in there, right? <laughs> but so the the problem is though these space cells, these location cells in our hippocampus, like we talked about before, there's a breakdown when your things move around. For example, when you put them in different spots because they're not optimized for things that move around. And so they're not optimized for putting them on this map in your brain, this GPS map, because the GPS dots are moving all the time, which is part of the reason you lose your keys is because you're always putting them in different spots, as well as the attention breakdown we talked about before and how you're not paying attention, you're not encoding, so you're not storing, and so you can't retrieve that memory later on. But having a a, a key bowl, which is, you know, super common wisdom or a bed bowl like I have is a great way to outsource your memory and your attention. If you use that same spot every time you come in the door for your objects, you physically don't have to think about it. And you have that one spot in your brain where the location cells in your hippocampus are able to track, hey, this is where my keys should be. The key here is you need to use this spot every single time. So for example, I come into my house. The first thing I do is I put my stuff in my bed bowl. And since implementing this, I haven't lost a single set of keys. So this works because I am terrible with my keys. I love this one because it leverages associative learning, right? It's like our brain is amazing at making associations and an association is essentially a habit. What? what? Get out to a habit episode. But it's it's all about, I know like that bed bowl was a really weird way of opening it up. Um, but there's a reason we did that. There's a there's a reason we started with something weird. Oh, did we ever? My, and that links nicely with my brain to number five, the oddball effect. So as you've just said, Sammy, 
spot on that that pause and that snapback was because we'd been speaking for what 30 40 minutes already and that was becoming monotonous because we're obviously super boring so what basically happened there in that pause is then people leaned in because it was different i'm sorry not you just me not you it's okay promise not not critiquing (laughs) but take my example here with the oddball effect is anything that is odd and weird and stands out from the noise is more likely to be remembered. And this is something in behavioral economics. This is something that people use in advertising and marketing marketing a lot of the time. Mm. If I were to give you a mundane list of words like car, tree, plant, and ball, they're mundane. But if I was to give you them and then chuck in something like Borat or Unicorn or Samuel L. Jackson or Snakes on a Plane or something like that in there, you're more likely to remember mm. that because it stands out from the noise. And this is a core principle from the book Moonwalking with Einstein by Joshua Furr. Highly recommend a read. He was a person that went from That's a great book. in a year to the American world champion in terms of memory formation. Which is memory great. athlete. Memory athlete. Massive. Um, and so the, the, the practical takeaway here, particularly with names or whatever it might be, whenever you want to remember something, a person's name or anything, make it odd and weird. Make it stand out from the crowd. And that's why the ancient Greeks and Romans, they always used to memorize memorize long transcripts by incorporating violent and sex. Violence and sex. I'm not even kidding. Mm. Very, very key note where they had to do all these things from memory um, when they were obviously talking and so on. So a, an example, if, if you want to remember Sam's name, because he's obviously got a smooth FM voice, you would could create an image mm. with a fluoro sign with Sam's face on it and then a smooth, sexy FM voice. It's weird, but you're more likely to remember it especially when you use multiple modes um, or multiple senses in that interaction. And this is what I use all the time if I want to remember a name as well. Repeating that image, repeating that connection, repeating that weirdness can sometimes lead to durable and flexible memories. Oh, durable and flexible. That's what we go for here at Brain Tools. Those are are two of the key drivers. (laughs) Oh, that got weird. But yes, I agree. (laughs) But but memorable, weird but memorable. Good, good application. And I know your last brain tool uh, leverages the oddball effect to actually apply it. So you can end us end us off, Sam. It really does. And this one hits so close to my home. And when I say that, I mean, we actually do this in my house. So yeah, it's very close to home. Um, my last brain tool is theme nights. And what it is, is to make this quarantine, this lockdown period and life in general more memorable, we need more of those temporal landmarks we talked about earlier. Those events with a really intense emotional resonance that are different, that are unique, that have this oddball effect, that create like these landmarks, these reference points for our memory to to, um, navigate itself in the past. And so when we're we're in lockdown, like I am down here in Melbourne, and you can't really leave the house, you need to find a way to come up with new novel experiences that create these temporal landmarks and a really easy one to do this. And this is lots of people that I know have been doing this, we've been doing this, is to have a theme night. So what we do, right, on the weekend, we will physically spin a globe. My dad or my mom will point a finger to where it falls on that globe. And then based on wherever that falls, we'll have a whole theme night. So the other week we did Tanzanian. I cooked Tanzanian food. We talked about Tanzanian culture. We like played Tanzanian music and I can still remember that. And as a result, that night, that weekend, that Saturday sticks out in my mind, but also creates a reference point because I can remember two weeks later, we had Greek. We had a Greek night where I made a moussaka. So this one's really simple. So are you basically, nah, hold on. I'm just going to pause it. Are you just doing this to tell basically everyone and myself that you're applying for master chef and that you're awesome? Is this basically the long and short of it? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm actually serving up the hottest 
and freshest brain tools on the market. I love how you haven't even told anyone you probably gave everyone food poisoning. That's fine. (laughs) Look, I didn't, but some people felt a little bit weird afterwards. (laughs) I love it though. Uh, Theme nights. Breaking the tyranny of monotony. Breaking the tyranny of monotony. It's it's going to be on Kieran's tombstone and it's also going to be <laughs> tattooed on him at some stage in the next few weeks. Yeah. But that's, that's my brain. That's my brain tool, right? And so speaking of that book you mentioned before, right, um, Walking with Einstein, uh, Josh Four interviews one of the memory champions and his whole philosophy for making life more memorable, for slowing it down, was creating more of these weird, bizarre, emotional moments. There's more of these temporal landmarks. So it's doing exactly like this thing is theme nights. And he talks about having really weird birthday parties and going and doing new things. Um, so, it's you know, it's cross applicable. Even if you're not in lockdown, you can still do this to, to make time slow down, create more new novel experiences. I love it. New novel experiences, new neural connections. I love it. Oh, that was so nice. I really enjoy that. Um, so let's, let's wrap, wrap up our brain tools for this week. Coming in at number one. This is man. Uh, the spacing effect. If you're going to learn something, space it out across time as opposed to doing it all in one sitting because in order to remember, you must forget. Ooh, I love it. And if you want to figure out how to space without figuring out how to space, use a space repetition system. You create flashcards based on what you're reading and learning. You put them in the system. It reminds you. Uh, Anki and Super Memo are really good examples of that. And they help you with reading. They do indeed, which is brain tool number three, syntopical reading. If you want to read and learn for memory and really deep understanding of something, make sure it's comparative. Take 10 books on one topic, deep dive and compare them as you go, and you'll find you'll remember it a whole lot more as opposed to forgetting it literally when you get to the bottom of the page. Over to you. I love I love that. And speaking of forgetting, as you get to the bottom of the page, you're out the door. Number four, bed bowl. Create a single space where you put all your stuff when you come in the house or when you go somewhere because this single spatial location will be much better remembered by your brain and it's like outsourcing your attention, which is a little bit weird. I love that. I thought you were going to pause for another 10 seconds and maybe go through that, so I'm really glad you didn't. But that is uh, brain- I thought about it. Brain tool number five, leverage the oddball effect. If you want to remember stuff, uh, the peak of novelty is really important. Things that are weird, things that are out there, you're more likely to remember. So next time you meet someone, you want to remember their name, make a weird, awesome, weird image in your head and you'll be more likely to remember it, which is the last one that leads to you, number six. Absolutely. And if you want to remember more of this year of your life, you want to slow down time or make lockdown go quicker, come up with theme nights or unique events which are novel, which are weird, which are unique uh, and have high emotional resonance. So the one I gave was theme nights, choose a country, make the cuisine, have a bit of fun with it because the novelty creates this temporal landmark that helps you form memories and make time seem like it slows down. Whoa, it's a lot to remember. But that's why we like it 80-20. My week, Sam, is novelty is the key to making things stand out to your brain. Once it stands out, you're more likely to remember it. What's yours? Mine is memory is really just about attention and events. And to remember better, get better at these two things. I love it. This is, wow, wow, look at us go. We've been crisp. Good stuff. Very crisp. Very sharp. I, love I it. like it. 
And just quite quickly, um, before we let everyone uh, everyone go, just a quick shout out. Uh, if you found this episode useful, feel free to subscribe uh, uh, to the to channel on Spotify or on iTunes as well. Or alternatively, just share it with a few friends that you feel could really benefit from uh, these episodes. And it obviously does a massive help for us as well to reach more people. Sam, anything you want to say? Absolutely. Yeah, look, if you are liking it, uh, if you're enjoying the content and you think more people should hear it, take a quick cheeky screen grab on your phone, chuck it on your Insta story. It takes two seconds. Uh, we would be really appreciative and it helps other people talk about it too so that you can talk about it with them and you can both share your brain tools with each other. I absolutely love it. And that brings us to the end of episode 10, Sam, our 10th it's a milestone, which is huge. Really exciting. Feels good. As we get to the next ones, we're going to be starting to do volumes and themes, picking a topic and deep diving into it across three to five episodes. We're going to, if there's any of those that you'd like to see, whether it's business or education or anything, come let us know. Send us through an email to the Brain Tools podcast and we'll be more than happy to do it. But very, very exciting times. Exciting times ahead. Exciting times to share some more Brain Tools. Um, that's about all I've got for this week. Bye for now. Bye for now. See you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Brain Tools. We've got three quick things to hit you with before you go. One, if you want to hear other Brain Tools, you can find our other episodes at the link below and on all podcasting platforms. Number two, if you like this episode, then give us a review on iTunes or Spotify only if it's above four stars. And number three, you can go ahead and join the braintools.mn.co community where we'll post a complete brain guide based on this episode, plus a ton of other resources. Best of all, it is completely free. Cannot wait to see you next episode. And until then, bye for now. See you next episode.